Judy Ann Grant was talking about one day that she went to church and an experience she had at church. She said, I had uh, prepared myself to go to church. I arrived at church. I was looking for my favorite seat. You know, we all have our favorite seats, right? Okay, everyone has their favorite seat. So she's looking for her favorite seat. And while she's looking for her favorite seat, in walks a, a man that wasn't like the rest of everyone. Uh, she noticed that his clothing, he wore out-of-date, ragged clothing, a little destitute in his looking. And she thought to herself, this man does not belong here. He doesn't belong here. I mean, listen, I spent over an hour primping and priming myself to come to... Now, I don't know. Is that a long time? I'm not sure. Don't take me a lot long, okay? But she said, I took an hour and a half primping and priming. He couldn't even spend a little more time on his attire before he came to church. But then she said, I heard him singing and watched his rapt attention to the preacher's word. I sensed it was a singleness of purpose, his deep love of God, which brought him into the house of the Lord. And she said, I was upbraided at my own lack of love. You don't belong here. You, you, you shouldn't be here. You know that, right? That's exactly what the woman in the story today heard. You don't belong here. You're not one of us. What are you doing here? Jesus sees what others do not see and forgives the repented heart. They said she didn't belong, but Jesus has another statement for her. He's got another look at her that people did not see. Why was she such a controversy to those that were gathered day that day? What, what was, it, was it about this woman that made her, made her so controversial? We don't have the motive for the Pharisee to invite Jesus to him. The name of the Pharisee is Simon. So if I mention Simon, don't think Simon Peter. It's Simon the Pharisee. So we don't know the motive for why he invited Jesus to come, whether he wanted to listen to him more, whether he wanted to catch him up in his words and try to trap him with something, whether he just wanted to, I don't know. We don't know the motivation, but he invites him into his house. Open up your Bible, Luke chapter seven, or turn on your device, whichever the case is. This is the word of God. Let's look at it together. Verse number 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And again, we don't know why. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. So they're at the table eating. Now, you remember in those days, it's not like we have a table where we push the chairs underneath the table, the table's up here. We sit. The tables were lower to the ground with cushions on the ground. And typically you leaned on your left elbow and used your right hand to pull off the table, which puts your feet out behind you, accessible to anybody walking by, which makes sense now to the story. So he's reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. That's all the people knew. I thought, hey, there's the sinner. When she walked by, that's what they said, the sinner. We don't know why she's called the sinner. Some thinks maybe she was a prostitute. Maybe, I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. All we know is that everyone in the city deemed her a sinner. She was unlike them. Stay away from her. When she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointments. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. You can see the picture here. 
Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he saw this sinful woman, this sinner, touching him, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For she is, there's a statement again, she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. So here's the event that, that leads Jesus into, that later we're going to see in the chapter, he's going to tell a parable of contrast to this Pharisee. But this is what happened right here. We don't know why it was a setup or was it just a honoring Jesus. We don't know why the Pharisee invited him. But we do know that Jesus liked to go to parties. He did. He liked to go to parties. Now, he didn't do anything sinful. We know that. He was without sin. But he liked parties. He liked being around people. In fact, at the end of chapter, uh, at, the, at, the, at the end of the verse 34 and 35 of chapter 7, which we didn't cover, we read this. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. And that's why Luke puts this event right here to show us that wisdom is justified by all her children. So here he is, invited to another party. This woman, again, we don't know how it happened, when it happened, but it happened in the past at some point. At some point, she heard the gospel. She heard what Jesus was saying about himself, about the Father, and she believed the message of Jesus. So she's already believed the message of Jesus. Now she comes to Jesus to show him something. So she believed. She acted out of faith. And the text says she learned where he was at. So you can imagine, here's a woman that is a sinner running around the city saying, hey, do you know where Jesus is at? Do you know where Jesus is at? She's going around asking him, do you know where she learned? In other words, she took time to figure out where's Jesus at? And finally someone says, oh yeah, he's over at Simon the Pharisee's house. So once she learned about that, she goes to him immediately because she wants to honor him. So she has believed, she's acting now by faith, and she seeks out Jesus to honor him. So you kind of get the picture of what's going on. She just wanted to stand by her Savior. That's all she wanted. And I'm glad they let her into the place. It's actually common for people to come in and out of banquets like this, especially a visiting rabbi. You would listen to what he had to say, so people would be milling around listening, and you could take home some of the leftovers when everything was finished. So it was normal for other people to be there, but not her. She's a sinner. She's not like us. She's different. But all she wanted to do when she learned was to stand by her Savior. That's all she wanted. There's a story about the ancient Greeks when they used to run the marathon. There's a story that happened, maybe anecdotal, maybe true. They were gathering together for the race. And of the, all of the men who were participating in the marathon race, there was one of them that was definitely above everyone else in just physical skills and ability. His body was sleek and muscular. You could tell he was a good runner. And so everyone else that was participating in the marathon was really concerned he would win. And if you won, you got a bouquet of flowers and you got to stand next to the king. So they offered this guy money not to run. They bribed him not to run. They offered him land not to run. He says, no, I'm going to run. So they got up to the mark, took off, everyone ran. Of course, he's the first one in. He wins. He, he, he absolutely beats everybody. No question about it. So when he, when, he, when, he, when he won, the people ask him, you know, if he thought that the flowers were as worth, worth as much as the money and property he had refused. 
You know, you got a black of flowers. Was that worth as much as the property and the money that you were fruised? And the guy said, listen, I didn't run for a bouquet of flowers. I ran so I could stand next to my king. That's why she's there. She just wants to stand next to her king. She went through all of the effort and everything that it took and all of the mockery of the citizens of her city to stand at the feet of her king. Luke tells us once again about Jesus' concern for sinners. You think you're righteous? You're not going to pay attention to Jesus. You realize you're a sinner? You're going to pay attention. He has great concern for sinners, people who are sick and need a physician. Jesus saw something in this woman that others did not. No one would have expected this woman to show up at this banquet. No one would expect that. You can imagine, just picture it. When she walked into the courtyard where the banquet was being held, could you imagine all conversations ceased and all eyes turned to her? Why are you here? You, of all people, why are you here at this event? She could have said at that point, I just want to stand next to my king. But no one questioned her. No one asked her. Jesus was desperate to come to Jesus and she did not care if she caused a scene. Can you say that? Can I say that? Am I so desperate for Jesus, I don't care what society says about me. I don't care if I make a scene in my neighborhood. I don't care if my family thinks I'm nuts. But I love Jesus and desperate for Jesus so much, I don't care. Can we get to that point? That's where she's at. I want to be around Jesus more than anything. And no one's going to stop me. That's what she says. We're not told why she's weeping. We we don't know. Maybe she's weeping because she has been forgiven. Maybe she's weeping because she realizes her sinfulness. We don't know. She's weeping. That's all we know. She's crying. She's weeping. She definitely realized her great debt of gratitude for her forgiveness. She definitely sensed that. Remember, she has believed already. Now she's acting out of her faith by doing what she's doing right now. So she's believed and now she's acting. To let down your hair in a woman in that society of that time was a disgrace. As a matter of fact, if you're a married Jewish woman, you could be divorced for letting your hair down in public. She doesn't care. She doesn't care. She doesn't care what society thinks of her. All she wants to do is honor her Savior Jesus. And she used what she had to dry his feet, even if a society deemed it disgraceful. She used her hair to dry his feet. In everyone's eyes, she was humiliating herself, but she didn't care as long as she could honor Jesus. That's all she was thinking about was honoring Jesus. And the text says she kept wiping his feet with her hair. The text tells us a continual action. She kept wiping his feet with her hair, probably because she's still weeping. You know, I have cried before. You ever cried before where you don't have any more tears? Okay, you've just cried so hard you don't have any more tears. You've probably done that before. I've cried really hard and I've been sitting over a desk and I cry really hard and maybe one tear drops down on the desk. How many tears does it take to make a person's feet wet that you have to dry them with your hair? That's a lot of tears. That's how broken she is inside realizing her sinfulness standing before her king, the one who forgave her takes a lot of tears so that someone else's feet gets wet. Nowhere here do we hear any words from her, no recorded words from the woman. She doesn't say anything in this. Her actions speak for her, no words. Now the Pharisee goes into a little mental gymnastics. People are claiming that he's a prophet, 
That we saw in chapter 7, verse 16. They're claiming he was a prophet. But he's reasoning in his head, listen, if he were a true prophet, he would know what kind of woman this was. And if he knew what kind of woman this was, he would not let her touch him. So since he let her touch him, he must not be a prophet because he doesn't know what kind of woman that's it. That's his thinking. That's his rational thinking in his head. He doesn't spit it out, but he's thinking that in his head. He can't be a true prophet. But I love what Jesus says is, he discerned what he was saying in his mind and answers him with a question. This, this Pharisee thought he had trapped Jesus, but Jesus showed himself a prophet by reading Simon's mind and assessing his greatest need. So he showed himself, after Simon's going, he can't possibly be a prophet because he, he doesn't know what kind of woman this is who's touching him, and therefore he can't be a prophet. And Jesus said, reading his mind, shows himself that he is a prophet, tells him what's going on. So he tells a parable about contrasts. Contrasts. Look at verse 41. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, and the other 50. So it's a contrast. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. In other words, that's the right answer. Whoever's been forgiven a, a lot would, would be thankful, grateful a lot. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, so picture this, he's looking at the woman, but he's talking to Simon, but he's looking at her the whole time he's talking. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven." for she has loved much, but he who has forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Oh, what a great story. I love this story. It's one of my favorite stories in the New Testament. So 500 denarii were about a year and a half wages. 50 denarii, about, well, 50 days. Denarii is one, one, wage, one day wage. So 50 days of wage is about two months. So you can see the comparison, year and a half and two months, contrast. And what's interesting is no reason is giving why the lender canceled the debt other than they, either one of them could repay. This debt was canceled out of grace. It was the lender's grace that canceled the debt. Not anything that they had done, they were unable to pay but it's counseled because of grace, this debt that was owed. You know, in the Bible, sin is described as a debt, a debt, a debt that, that we owe God, sin. We owe because of the sinfulness, this debt that we owe. In the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter six, or what's known as the Lord's Prayer, in Luke 11, you see this. Matthew and Luke, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. But Luke renders it this, and forgive us our sins. Sin is seen as a debt in the Bible. And she realized she had a great debt that had been forgiven. Her sins had been forgiven. Simon the Pharisee didn't show any hospitality to Jesus, didn't honor him at all. Didn't, he didn't have to. It wasn't a law. 
But if you're a kind person, you would wash someone's feet. You remember, they wear sandals. Dirty roads, come into the house, you wash someone's feet, that's just a nice thing to do. Didn't, didn't cover his hair, you know, when you get dust all over your hair, he didn't anoint his hair with oil. He did none of that stuff. He did not honor Jesus at all, nothing. He did not welcome Jesus as an equal, he did not honor him, but Jesus knew the state of this woman. He even says, her sins which are many. He knew how many sins she had. He knew she was a sinner, but he didn't treat her like that. He didn't treat her as an outcast. In fact, rabbis, they don't normally speak to women at all or eat with them in public, not in those days. But here's a woman who knew her sins were many and Jesus acknowledged that her sins was many. I don't know, do you remember when you got saved? Remember when you got saved? You probably, I'm guessing, had a sense of your sinfulness and the great debt that you owed God because of those sins. You remember, I think we've been in the faith too long. We forget about coming to faith in Jesus We forget about that. I understand her saying, here we see in the text as we've seen often before, Jesus is able to forgive sins. He's exercising divine prerogative to forgive sins. Now, the text says, uh, therefore I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven for she has loved much. So let's not get confused here. Her love was not the ground or basis of her forgiveness. The evidence of her faith were her loving actions. She had already believed. So it wasn't that loving saved her. No, no, no. She's loving because she's responding to God's love in her life. So she believed and she's acting out of her faith and doing these actions. So it wasn't the love that saved her. It was faith and repentance and believing the Messiah that saved her. Now, for all of you grammar geeks, the rest of you can kind of just close your eyes for a second. And when it says are forgiven. It is a perfect passive verb, which means she didn't forgive. She's acted upon. Somebody else forgave her. Someone else acted upon her. And it's written in the perfect tense, which means when that action took place, it has a continual effect into the future. At some point when she believed she was forgiven and that carries on into the future and all the way to the time of her death and into the presence of God. It's a perfect verb. I love the Greek language. Gives us that insight. Could have been an aorist. An aorist verb is a simple past tense verb with no continuing effect, but it wasn't. The Holy Spirit chose a perfect verb for this. Forgiveness is a gift of God's grace. God acts upon us. He acts upon us and forgives us. And you know what? Listen, listen. Not only does he forgive you, believer, he remembers your sins no more. He doesn't hold your sins against you. He's not going to say on that day, oh yeah, well, you know, there's this one that wasn't paid for. That, that's it. That's enough. One sin is enough to send us to hell. That one is, no. He completely forgives us and doesn't remember them any longer. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says this, for I will be merciful. This is a, this is a, a summary of the, old, of the new covenant. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. It's not that God forgets. God, he's God. He can't forget anything. What he's going to say is, I'm never going to take these sins and and accuse you on the day of judgment and hold them against you, ever. I'm never going to do that. I have forgiven you. I have forgotten them. And then Romans chapter 4. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Listen, believer. God is not holding your sins against you today. He has forgiven you completely. Perfect tense. 
You stand forgiven. You are forgiven. You will always be forgiven. Jesus does not hold your sins against you any longer. He paid the penalty for your sins. So let me ask you, why are you holding your sins against you? Why are you allowing Satan to hold your past sins against you? Oh, he comes up. Oh, you remember that time you did this? Remember that? You can't serve God. You can't honor him. No, you're just a rotten sinner. Remember? That's what Satan does to us. Why are we letting him do that? When Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Don't even you hold your sins against you any longer. She loved because she was forgiven. That's why she loved. She understood God's love. John tells us in 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. She realized God loved her. This rotten sinner, God loved and was willing to forgive when she repented of her sins and believed the message of Jesus. Her tears, her attitude, and her gifts all speak of a changed heart. Paul told the Galatians, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. That's exactly what she did. Faith working through love. She faithfully served him and honored him because she loved him. The Pharisee didn't see his need. He didn't see himself as a sinner. He didn't think he was a sinner before God. See, the woman's sins were known by everyone in the city. Simon's sins were hidden. Simon was as much spiritually bankrupt as this woman, but he didn't know it. She did. People who think that they're righteous will never experience love for Jesus because they don't sense their, 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 their sinfulness. Has there ever been a point in your life where you sensed your great sinfulness before a holy God? Sinners in the hands of an angry God, Jonathan Edwards. He preached and it was said, I mean, it was so direct. It was said that people were holding on to their seats, thinking that the floor would open up and they would drop down into hell that very moment. They sensed their sinfulness before a holy God. Do we? Do we sense our sinfulness before a holy God? Every human being has sinned. We all have sinned. We all stand condemned before God. If it wasn't for what we're going to celebrate, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, we would all be condemned before a holy God. But I wonder today, maybe today, you've never sensed your sinfulness. You've never said, you know, I'm not that bad of a person. I'm not like, and we always like to throw Stalin or Adolf Hitler in there. I'm not like Adolf Hitler. And we always like to put the biggest one, you know, I'm not like that. But let me ask you, have you, have you sensed your sinfulness? Have you sensed your need for a savior? Do you realize that your good works are not going to save you, but that faith alone in Jesus Christ is what saves a person? Have you sensed that? And if not, would you repent today of your sins, embrace Jesus Christ in his message of salvation and believe the gospel? You know the verses, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God not a result of work so that no one may boast. So she didn't work to get saved. She was saved and therefore she worked. And then Jesus at the end, I love this. He gave her a word of assurance. The assurance of Jesus' word gave her confidence that she was truly forgiven and saved. Isn't it wonderful realizing that our sins have been forgiven? They can never rise up to accuse you at the judgment seat of God. He wiped them all clean. 
the slate that was against us, all of the debts. He nailed it to the cross and he wiped it clean. They will not be held against us ever on the day of judgment. God forgives. He forgives. Listen, he forgave me. He forgave you. But let's be honest. You and I are not really good at forgiveness. We're not really good at forgiveness. God gives it to us, but we're not really good at giving it to anyone else. We're not really good at forgiveness. Someone sins against us, we have a hard time letting it go. We remember that. We take them to court in our mind all the time. We have a hard time letting it go. We have a hard time with forgiveness. Even though God forgives us, Ephesians chapter four, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We're just not really good at forgiveness. They offend us, they hurt us. You know, hey, listen, we say, come on, Jesus, you were willing to forgive her, but she didn't sin against you. She didn't sin against you. How can I forgive the person who broke up my marriage? How can I forgive the person who lied at work about me and got me fired? (coughs) How can I forgive the person who violently assaulted me? These are sins against me. Jesus, you don't understand. She didn't sin against you. These are sins against me. I can't forgive that. You may say they're not sins against Jesus, but let me draw it to your attention. Every sin is a sin against God. Jesus is God. Therefore, every sin is directed against Jesus as well. He forgave her. Can we? Are we willing to forgive those who have sinned against us? Philip Yancey, in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, wrote, at last I understood, in the final analysis, forgiveness is an act of faith. By forgiving another, I am trusting that God is a better justice maker than I am. That's it, we want justice, and we want it now. And we're not gonna forgive until they they bring justice. By forgiving, I release my own right to get even and leave all issues of fairness for God to work out. I leave in God's hands the scales that must balance justice and mercy. Jesus says, I forgive you. Every one of those sins were against him as God. I forgive you. And he says, you're saved. Grammar Greeks, another perfect verb. Some point in the past, she got saved with a continuing effect into the future. She's still saved and she still will be saved. Same thing said about your salvation and mine that we are saved and it's a perfect tense. We got saved at some point in the past and we stand in a state of continual forgiveness today because of what Jesus has done. Love and gratitude flow from forgiveness. That is the lesson of the parable. That is the lesson of the parable. R.C. Sproul wrote, that is why it is important from time to time to remember the day of our salvation to remember who we are and to remember all that we have and all we enjoy as a result of the mercy of God. The day I got saved in a renovated chicken coop in Wild Flick in Germany while I was in the military, I can't tell you what the pastor preached on, I don't remember. All I remember is sitting there thinking to myself, I am a horrible, rotten sinner and I don't know what to do with my sin. But all I heard was that Jesus could forgive me of my sin if I believed in him and trusted him. He would forgive me of my sin. That's all that I knew was that I was a horrible sinner before God. And I believed. And he did. Exactly like he promised. And from time to time, it's good to remember that state we were in before we became Christians. 
to remember the great debt of gratitude we owe God for all of the mul- listen any one of us could have had this designation she's a sinner every one of us if we can grasp that point then our obedience will be motivated not by a sense of duty but by gratitude and a love that flows out of a heart that is known forgiveness that's what he wants to teach us the person who realizes they have been forgiven much loves much. That's why I went into the, well, God called me into the ministry. I understand that. But that's why I was willing to go into the ministry because I realized exactly how many sins he had forgiven me. And I loved him for it. And I still love him for it. Then he says to her, go in peace. It's only possible for those who have been forgiven by faith to go in peace. You cannot have peace apart from God. Actually, the term is go into peace. It's a preposition into. So from one state into another. She was in enmity towards God, hatred towards God. Now she goes into peace with God. Do you see that? Go into peace is the idea. From one state to another. Romans chapter five, verse one. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is an abiding peace, a peace that, that passes all understanding because we have been forgiven of our sins by a holy God that has gone to the cross, which we're about ready to celebrate right now, to pay the penalty of our sins so that we could be forgiven before a holy God because every one of our sins were directed against him. Oh, I sinned against my neighbor. No, you didn't. You sinned against the God who created your neighbor. Every one of our sins is against God. And may we, like this woman, realize exactly how great a debt that we had before God so that our level of gratitude would be as high as the debt that we realize we had. Who has been forgiven much, loves much. Let's pray. Father, thank you. I so appreciate this woman. We don't even know her name. Someday I get to see her in heaven. But you wrote it in your word so that we will always know what she did And the lesson coming from it for us, you're a God who forgives. When we repent, we believe the gospel message. We confess, you forgive us of our sins. You're a gracious God. We can't pay the debt, just like the money, just like the debtors couldn't pay the money lender, but you graciously forgave us. The debt of gratitude we owe to you is enormous. And may we always sense that in our heart. We have been forgiven much. We will love much. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.